Yep. Yeah. Oh, gosh. Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim. Alhamdulillah. Wa salatu wa salamu ala rasulillahi wa ala alihi wa sahbihi wa man wala. Allahumma salli salatan kamilatan wa sallim salaman tamman ala sayyidina Muhammad alladhi tunhalu bihi al-aqad wa tanfariju bihi al-turaq wa tuqda bihi al-hawaij wa tunalu bihi al-raghaib wa husnul khawatim wa yustasqa al-ghamamu bi wajhi al-kareem wa ala alihi wa sahbihi wa sallim taslima Today's stream we're going to talk about uh, obviously, Al-Isra'ul Mi'raj, we have to talk about that. That's our topic for today, and that's what uh, will be taken. Any questions and answers related to what we talk about today? Isra'ul Mi'raj, it has uh, a number of things about it. Now, firstly, we're going to narrate basically what exactly happened. And it's one of those things we have to do this every year because there's so many fawa'id. And then we could talk about some of the different lessons that we pull out of it. So first of all, what happened with Isra'ul Mi'raj is... Uh, Something that the Prophet ﷺ, you see all over the Qur'an, in which Allah is always consoling His Prophet ﷺ, consoling him from the, the various hate and, and anger and all the things that the, 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 the Quraysh are doing to the Messenger, peace be upon him. And the sadness that they're bringing to the Prophet's heart. And this happened on the year, Am al-Huzn, towards the end of the year in which the Prophet ﷺ had lost his internal and his, or his, or his uh, domestic inside of his, his family and his house, uh, his support, Sayyidah Khadija, and then he also lost his external support, who was uh, Abu Talib. They both passed away in this year. So this is the year the Dawah had really come to a halt in Mecca, and the, the abuse of Quraysh went from being merely words to actually being physical. For the first time. On, on the poor Sahaba, it was always physical. On Bilal, it was physical from day one because they didn't have any protectors. But the Prophet ﷺ, he had a tribe, he had protectors. When those protectors were lost and the chief of the tribe became his greatest enemy, then at that point, everything was open season and Abu Lahab didn't, uh, didn't do anything to protect the Prophet. He, in fact, he encouraged all this abuse. He encouraged all this abuse on the Messenger, uh, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. And so, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala did an Isra and Mi'raj for the Prophet, peace be upon him, that no other Prophet had anything similar to it. Sayyidina Idris, he had a Mi'raj. Other Prophets, they had a Mi'raj with their hearts only, but not with their physical body. Sayyidina Musa spoke to Allah directly in this world. Prophet ﷺ spoke to Allah directly in the next world. So Allah gave, made the Prophet from the mukallameen, mukallameen, those who uh, are spoken to directly. So not every Prophet received that. Uh, Sayyidina Musa received it more than anybody else, but the Prophet ﷺ received it at a higher maqam. Sayyidina Musa received it in this world all the time, whenever he wanted. But the Prophet ﷺ received it in the, nec- uh, uh, in the afterlife, in the samawat, in the, in the heavens. Uh, which was greater than receiving it in this world. Sayyidina Musa asked for it, and the Prophet ﷺ never asked for it and was given it. In other words, he said, Oh Allah, let me see you, Sayyidina Musa said. Okay. But and he couldn't see him. But the Prophet ﷺ was taken up. And of course the Sahaba, we know that they differed. Did the Prophet see Allah directly or not? Okay. Did he see him with his heart? How did he see him? Sayyidina Aisha said, No. What, what, what is mentioned in Surah Al-Najm refers to Jibreel. Okay. Because it says, أُخْرَى And he has saw him in another situation. And that other situation was right after the revelation. So Sayyidah Aisha, 
And uh, Imam Malik prefers this opinion that the vision, the seeing of uh, that is mentioned in Surah Al-Najm is the Prophet seeing Sayyidina Jibreel in his perfect full form. And Sayyidina Imam Malik, according to Qadi Ayyad, said that uh, it is impossible for anybody in this worldly life to see Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala because our eyes and our being itself is fanny, is in a form that's, that's temporary. Whereas after the resurrection, we're in a form that's permanent. Okay, so only then is the vision of Allah possible. But in, in any event, point being is that the Prophet ﷺ, his heart was washed on this day. And his heart was filled, again, with hikmah and iman. Prophet, peace be upon him, begins by saying that, I was sleeping at the Hijr when two, three mara'ika came down. And they, tra- they lifted me to Zamzam. And there Sayyidina Jibreel opened again my heart, removed put my heart into a tist or a, a bowl made of gold filled with zamzam and washed it with waters from the heavens that were f- representing iman and hikmah so that the prophet's heart at that time was transformed it was transformed this is the third time because according to ibn hajar there are three times in which the prophet's heart was washed and that is in his childhood the part of shaitan was removed. The part that shaitan could access was removed. And the first revelation, it was washed, it was opened again and washed again so that he could withstand the revelation. And then again on the night of Isra and Mi'raj, it was washed again a third time and filled with iman and wisdom because he needs, this is what was needed to, to, to withstand the Mi'raj. Isra and Mi'raj, it's an extremely intense spiritual experience that required uh, uh, more iman and more power all right, to be given to the Prophet So then afterwards, he tied him or, or, or closed up, sealed up his heart again and brought him to the Buraq. And from there, the Buraq, they went straight to the, the Isra. Now the word Isra is what the translation of night journey is. And Mi'raj is the ascension. And in, and in Isra, the difference between an Isra and a Mi'raj is that an Isra is a night journey, but a Mi'raj is also not directly vertical. It has a back and forth element to it. So when the Prophet ﷺ went up the heavens, he didn't just go straight up like this. He went up, and then he went over, then up and over, and it was different. And the Mi'raj was not with the Buraq. The, Muraq, the Mi'raj was with Sayyidina Jibreel. The Buraq only transported the Prophet, peace be upon him, to uh, to uh, to Jerusalem, and why Jerusalem? Some of the uh, scholars said that Jerusalem is the this the the gateway to the heavens. That when the angels come down, the fastest route is they come to Jerusalem, then they go wherever they want in the world. Allah Adam, if that's true, but some of the ulama say that it's not something that's with jazm, but they do say that. So when the Prophet them passed by on the way, he was called upon by three people. Okay, three instances. The first instance, an old woman called on him, said, Muhammad. Uh, uh, she greeted Muhammad and she, she called upon him. And, and Sayyidina Jibreel, he said, keep going. Then a man called upon him and he said, keep going. Then three men greeted him with salam. And then Sayyidina Jibreel said, respond to them with salam. Then afterwards he explained to him, the old woman, that was the manifestation of the dunya, and she, that's the age of the dunya. So at the time of the Prophet, peace be upon him, that's why the Prophet is the first sign of the general end of time. Then the state, according to some of the tefasir, this is not like a hundred and, yeah, it's not bulletproof piece of evidence, but 
the two ev the two signs of the specific actual end of time is number one, which is stronger, is that the, the Bedouins of Arabia will compete for high buildings. And we see that happen already. And the second one is based upon Surah Al-Isra at the end, which is the formation of uh, the state of Israel based upon uh, that when the promises of the end time comes, we will bring you all from every direction. And that is about the Yahud. And we see that that's happened in the manifestation of the state of Israel. That that's the initial... Here means now the, 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 the impact of the promises of the end times are actually going to start happening. So there's a general end time that comes with the coming of the Prophet, peace be upon him. Okay. And then there's a specific end time, which is the actual events will start to occur. And we see these happening. All the events of the end of time are happening right before our eyes. And that's in, in place of our nearness, our, our distance from the Prophet, peace be upon him, because we're so far from the prophetic message. On top of that, even in the past they were far from the prophetic message, but at least they had success as an ummah. So they sort of had strength that, that, no, this is the truth. Even if you're weak and you don't examine things with proofs and everything, and you don't have strong men, but you're, you're the winning horse. Right, your ummah and your civilization is successful, so why even doubt it? So they had that, but we don't have either of those. But what we do have that the previous generations of Muslims did not have, we can see the promises of Akhir zaman happening before our very eyes, and it's something that it just it. If you have any doubts, these things will wipe away your doubts the more you see them. All right. So uh, back to the Isra and Mi'raj. That w woman was the dunya. That's why Sayyidina Jibreel said, keep going. In other words, ignore her. The man was Iblis. A manifest Iblis came in a, ma a man's form to distract the Prophet, and he will always try to distract the Ummah and the people of the Ummah. The, but the three men were Prophet Ibrahim, Prophet Musa, and Prophet Isa. And then the Messenger وسلم, stopped on the way of the Isra and Mi'raj in two locations. He stopped at the grave of Sayyidina Musa and saw Sayyidina Musa reciting the Qur'an in his grave, reciting the Qur'an, not the Torah, doing ibadah in his grave. And they stopped there. Then they stopped at the place of birth of Sayyidina Isa. And so this is, ulama al-Sunnah say, this is the basis of tabarruk. This is an example. If the greatest of messengers, he's with an angel, and he's going to speak to Allah, yet he still does tabarruk. What, and it's respect of our, 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 the previous prophets, and it's seeking our success by connection to them, by any way, shape, and form. How? What was the success of Bani Israel? It was the tabut. What was the tabut? Fihi sakina. It has sakina. What's the sakina? Baqiyatun mimma taraka alu Musa wa alu Harun tahmiluhu al-malaikatu. So it has the remnants of the family of Harun and Musa, which means it had the stick of Musa, the tablets, all of their relics, okay, whatever relics that they had, okay, not just Musa and Harun, their family too, their immediate family is going to be blessed too, who carries it, Malaika are guarding this tabut, so it's a box with stuff in it, but stuff is not all the same, there's some connection between a person and their stuff, even if that connection, in our eyes, is mere like a memory and a consciousness. So that when you see this stick, you think of Musa. So that this tabarruk bi athar al-anbiya and bi maqamat al-anbiya, the locations where the anbiya did things, is how we get our victory. 
And so why Sayyidina Khalid bin Walid used to carry a hair of the Prophet in his helmet? Because he said, this is the source of my, my victory. Why? It's a, it's, it's a connection. It's his intent. It's why Sayyidina Yusuf, salam, he sent his shirt to be the healing of the blindness of his father. Now, isn't his father a prophet? Couldn't his father just put his hands up? Couldn't Sayyidina Yusuf himself put his hand up? Oh, Allah, you're my father. No, it's teaching. It's doing something, showing an example. And the purpose here is not that we believe that the thing itself has any power. Because we don't believe that. We don't believe the thing itself has any power. Sayyidina Umar ibn Khattab, is there going to be any greater barakah than the Hajr al-Aswad, which came from the heavens and was placed by Sayyidina Ibrahim and is the original, if we're going to have a relic at all? And Sayyidina Umar said, I know that you're just nothing but a rock. You don't benefit or harm. But I only uh, 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 address you and, and kiss you because the Prophet did so. Symbolically. A connection. It's a senad. We're the people of asnad. So we always want, in any way, shape, and form, a senad. And the tabarruk bis-salihin qiyasan an tabarruk bil nabiin. This is not my words. The tabarruk with the righteous is, uh, by analogy, from the tabarruk from the uh, Anbiya. This is the words of Ahl Sunnah's scholars, right? Uh, from the past. And that means that, for example, uh, let's take an example that. It's all about, if someone has a righteous father, righteous forefather, don't you pass down his mushaf? Well, what's the difference in this mushaf and any other mushaf, right? But the issue is that it's a connection of any type that we are seeking to have. All right? It's like a suhbah. It's a type of suhbah. Okay. In any event, now, if you look at, now by the way, just as an analogy, look at any civilization, when they want to remember you know, their origins, what do they do? When they care about their origins, what do they do? They preserve everything. Why? Because it's a memory of their origins. Right? And yet what we have is a, basically a war that has been waged upon our ummah by hypocrites from within. And those hypocrites, we're not going to name what kingdom they are. They, what they do is destroy all of the past athar, and they care nothing about the athar of the sahaba. But yet when you go to their monarchs, their kings, they preserved it all in the name of history. Well, then why don't you preserve? Let's say you don't believe in Tabarruk, but how about common sense? This is the history of your ummah. Wouldn't you preserve it? It's the history of your, your, your religion. Wouldn't you preserve it? How about purely from capitalistic perspective? Charge people. Make a museum and charge people. Like if you're purely a capitalist and you don't care at all about the deen and you don't care about Tabarruk, you don't believe in any of it. You got a billion people who do, and they make pilgrimage to your country. I said we're not going to mention kingdoms, but it looks like we just did, right? <laughs> so make money off of them. Even that, just to show you, they're enemies of Deen. They're not even like, yeah, an irreligious Muslim would just make money off of it, right? But no, it's almost like they're, they're it's like an animosity. They want to destroy it completely. It's the biggest trick of Iblis is this idea that tabarruk is something that is shirk. How's a shirk? Sayyidina Yaqub did shirk when he wiped the, uh, the uh, eye of Yusuf. Prophet ﷺ did shirk when he visited the maqam of Sayyidina Ibrahim where he died, the grave, uh, then the birthplace. What's the value of a birthplace? Right? But whose birthplace? And does Allah love them or not? That's the question. So that was what the Prophet ﷺ did. And we learn from this. Because if there's going to be any person who does not need to do tabarruk, it's the messenger. He's the greatest of all barakah. And if there's any day or night or time that he does not need to do tabarruk, it's this night where he's doing mi'raj. 
and Isra, and he's with Jibreel, and he's going to speak to Allah directly. Like, what barakah? Do, why would you need barakah at that time? But no, their spiritual strength was needed. So that was the value of the tabarruk at that time, because spiritual strength was needed, so his heart was washed. Then you're going to go and uh, pray two rakahs, uh, 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 at the where Sayyidina Musa is di uh, died and you're going to see him reciting Quran in the grave then where Sayyidina Isa uh, was born you're going to nistamid and take from that power alright so afterwards the Prophet Sallallahu arrived at the Masjid Al-Aqsa and the fate of our Ummah was, was set from one aspect the nature of our personality of the Ummah why? because when the leader does something his personality changes when a leader does something. Therefore, all of his followers, there's going to be an impact and a reverberation of that action upon, his, upon all his decisions, and therefore, who's a, what kind of person is attracted to them, and what kind of person is elevated or lowered in that person's group. So, for example, if a leader goes and, and, and butchers... Oh, we never... Can you plug this mic in, by the way? Yeah. Uh, if a leader goes and butchers okay, people and he becomes a vicious, he com becomes a murderer, essentially. So when he goes and he's now like a family man and a, he's a father and everything, that's gonna re he's going to have a type of, of, of roughness of his soul. His soul is not going to be the same anymore, right? Because he killed. So that's going to reverberate in all of his behavior now, okay? And all of his actions. So the actions and the decisions of a leader, they have an impact and an effect upon their soul, which then has an impact and an effect on everything else. Okay. The Prophet ﷺ was offered water and wine and milk by Sayyidina Jibreel inside the Masjid al-Aqsa. It's slightly crooked if you can fix it real quick. The Prophet ﷺ looked at them all and this decision is going to impact the nature, the type of personality and the type of person that the Prophet ﷺ is. Uh, the, and, and therefore, his followers. So he chooses the milk. And, the Prophet, and Sayyidina Jibreel said, you made the right decision. And then he explains, if you had chosen the wine, your nation would have been extravagant. Why? Because extravagance would be what the, that person who made the choice prioritized. Wine is the drink of the, the rich and the extravagant. If you're, and th thus they would have been destroyed by their extravagance. If you had chosen the water, your ummah would have drowned. But you choose the milk, and therefore your ummah is upon the fitrah. That means your ummah will be people who are natural, in their natural dispositions. No takalluf. Takalluf is this idea of, uh, takalluf is this concept that you have to be overbearing, right? And if you look at like certain, if you deal with a king or something, he's overbearing, right? He's, you gotta dress a certain way, you gotta speak certain things, you gotta sit a certain way, you have to approach him a certain way. It's called takalluf. And we're not an ummah of takalluf, right? You go to the masajid, what is it? An empty space. That's it. Make dua, however you wanna make dua. Right? There's no like set location. You have to say this. You have to say this. All right. Fail to make dua. Allah knows what's in your heart. Yeah, I mean, I don't even know how to make dua. But I, don't, I can't talk right. Well, Allah knows what's in your heart. Right? No takalluf in this deen. So, the Prophet, by choosing milk, milk is the fitrah. 
right? It's the, it's the, it's the nourishment of those who have very simple life. The milk of camels, the milk of what, whatever, milk of goats, whatever. So then the Prophet ﷺ looked, and lo and behold, the masjid was filled. When the masjid was filled, they all stood up for salah. And the Prophet did not know who these people were. He, they all waited, who's going to lead the salah? Sayyidina Jibreel took the Prophet ﷺ and put his hand up. That's why the Prophet's nickname is Imam al-Rusul. Because he literally was the Imam of the Prophets. No other person ever had the distinction of being the leader, the Imam in Salah of all messengers. There was never a time when all Prophets and messengers were gathered in one place. Except this one time. And the Prophet ﷺ. Now all of this is in the wake. And that's what's different about this Mi'raj. And if you look... وَمَا جَعَلْنَا الرُّؤْيَا الَّتِي أَرَيْنَاكَ إِلَّا فِتْنَةً لِلنَّاسِ وَالشَّجَرَةِ الْمَلْعُونَةِ فِي الْقُرْآنِ There are two things at that time in Mecca that cause a confusion and a bewilderment to everybody and was a test of their iman in this ayah. And it says here that it, we didn't show you what we showed you except as a fitna to the people. So if it was a dream, why would that be a fitna? You could dream, anybody could dream that they met any prophet they want, and it's not a fitna. So when it says, we didn't show you what you showed you except as a fitna, it shows that what the prophet explained to them was a vision in the wakeful state. The verse literally says, we haven't shown you what we showed you except as a test for the people. And the accursed tree in the Qur'an. So you might think, well, what's the, what's, what's the connection between that and the accursed tree? There's, what does Isra and Mi'raj have anything to do with the accursed tree? Because the Prophet ﷺ in the Qur'an, and he explained as he recited it to the people, That the fuel of the fire, it's people and it's stones. It's the fuel of the fire. And then you're telling us that there's a tree in fire. In the, in the fire. There's a shajara, a zakum. Okay? The tree of zakum. Now, zakum is a tree. In this earth. But, and they have it. They know about it. They eat from its dates, and their dates are so oily that they make a butter out of the dates. Okay? It's like there's like some, something how they make butter. I don't know how you make butter out of dates. I would think you make oil out of dates, but I guess they call it butter. Because if you look in the tafasir, they say that Abu Jahl went and he got the dates. He said, get me the, the, the fruits of Zakum tree. They got the dates and the butter of Zakum. It's from Yemen. And they brought it forth. Oh, Oz, that's a brilliant idea. Let's do it now. Because this stupid little thingy, this guy is a wizard. Right? Yeah. He's always coming up with new ideas. Because this, this, this live stream is always crooked. It's always messed up. So fix it real quick. Well, we're going to take a pause right here while he fixes this and I fix my turban. Turban's all crooked too. Everything's crooked. Anyway, I could talk because you can hear the audio. Okay? Um... <clears throat> so he then says that um, yeah you could lower it a bit he brings all the people in and he says eat from zakum, making fun of the prophet why making fun of the prophet peace be upon him because they said the prophet if you said that hellfire right it, the people and stones are the fuel of the fire. How does a tree grow in there? Wouldn't the tree burn? Right? That, it makes sense what they're saying. But they have no iman. Right? 
As kuffar, it makes sense. But they have no iman. That's the difference. Okay? And so these people, they then went and they had doubts in their hearts. They doubted now over this. So what do you say? I mean, you have a doubt about, if you believe in an eternal hellfire, you don't believe that Allah can create a tree that can withstand fire? I mean, there's nothing irrational about it. Remember, we in Ahl Sunnah, we reject the irrational, but we accept the super rational. That's a hallmark of Ahl Sunnah. Irrationality is absolutely rejected. Irrationality is a contradiction in terms and in words. Okay, so we don't accept that there's anything called a square, uh, a square triangle, a triangle with five sides, a circle with two sides. It's an irrationality. We do not accept that. And we say the qudra of Allah Ta'ala, when we speak of Allah's qudra, it refers to the rational. It does not refer to what is irrational. That means nonsense. That's an insult to Allah, and it is, it's, it's not even stuff. But we do accept the super-rational. Super-rational being things that we don't... It's, there's no contradiction there. We've just never seen it before. You've never seen a pig that flies. It's super-rational. It's possible. If Allah wanted to create a pig that flies, it's possible. It's super-rational. So that's why it was a fitna as much as the Mi'raj was. Now the Messenger, when he spoke of the Isra and Mi'raj, there were some people that apostated. An entire clan that had just entered Islam, they apostated. And they left Islam. Okay. That's why Allah calls it a fitna. We showed you this. We have not given you this as a fitna. Why? Because Allah Ta'ala doesn't want weak faith. Especially in the time of Mecca, these are the first believers. So He does not want any weak believers. Everyone has to be strong. And the only one that was absolutely strong on that day, with zero hesitation, was Sayyidina Abu Bakr, who has a clear sense of epistemology, that epistemology and iman and guidance, they're one and the same. What is epistemology? What is the source of truth? Okay? And the Qur'an, all over the Qur'an, there are allusions to telling us what is the source of truth. And you should read uh, Al-Aqid al-Nasafiyyah, the introduction to it, and Taftazani's commentary on it. There's a nice, beautiful section on the es essence of what is a source of certainty. Okay? An observation can be a source of certainty. There's a piece of paper in front of us. We trust that observation, right? We don't, we're not uh, so sophists who say, well, you know, maybe this whole life is, is, is and today they, they're, they're, they say it's, uh, maybe we're software simulations. In the past, they said, oh, some other nonsense. But the sophists, they doubt everything. They're skeptics that, that doubt even their own existence. So we say about them that, we can't even have a discussion. Because if you doubt your own existence, then you must doubt your conclusion. Because the conclusion is the branch of your existence. Therefore, we can have a discussion with you. There's no point. You're not even certain about what you're saying. So, one of them is the sound transmission from a reliable source. Sayyidina Abu Bakr Siddiq, he simply, he simply told them, if Muhammad said it, then it must be true. Is that I, you're transmitting to me. You, Kuffar, are transmitting to me. Because they got to him first, before the Prophet sent him. They said, Muhammad says that he went to Jerusalem in one night and came back. So, do you believe that? He said, if he said it, because I, I don't trust you as a source. You're his enemies. You're liars. We don't accept you as a source. So if he said that, though, I will believe it. Because I already believed him. I already concluded he's a trustworthy source. So this is epistemology. And this is where exactly where it's so important to be really conscious of epistemology if you want to have a peaceful mind. Because you're going to hear narrations from all sorts of different places at all times. Let's look, look at your friends. If you have a friend group of five people, 
and you, you have an order for them, who you trust the most to the least. But they're all good. If the most trustworthy person tells you something, the least trustworthy person tells you the opposite thing. Well, what do I do? Oh, I'm confused. No, you're not confused. You have to know epistemology. The, 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 the trust, most trustworthy person, all else equal, like if all other factors are equal, we accept his word. The not trustworthy person, or, or the, the least trustworthy person, we don't say he's lying, but his word is rejected. In this case, it's rejected. Why? Because it contradicts a greater source. We call that shev. So it's daif. It's a weak statement. We don't accept it. Am I accusing him? No. So we have this, this concept where we can, we can list all the sources of information coming to us and then say, okay, this one is more acceptable than this one. Even though both of them, they're trustworthy, but this is more trustworthy. It's not doesn't say anything about this person, but this narration in particular, we're going to leave it on the side. Or, I look at the person, this person has X, Y, Z reasons why we don't accept them. It doesn't matter how powerful or persuasive they are, they are, nothing they say is acceptable for us. So when you have someone who lied once in hadith, we don't accept anything he ever has to say, no matter what. Even if statistically something that he says is going to be true one day, right? But we reject everything. So Sayyidina Abu Bakr Siddiq, he kept his mind with him. And he said, and this is tawfiq because of his iman. There's a connection between our minds and our hearts. When the heart is clean, the mind is clean. And he simply brought to them an epistemological argument. And he said, if he said it, then it's true. Meaning, your narration of what he said is rejected. But whatever Muhammad says that is true. Why? I've already accepted him as a source. So we don't go and then judge the source by his transmission. This source particularly. Prophet a messenger. Any other person could change. Okay? Non-messenger could change. But a messenger, if he said it, it's true. Then the only question is, A, did he say it? And B, did you understand it properly? And that's what, in Islam, that's how we judge things too. Everything the Prophet said is perfect and good and true. The question is, did he actually say it? That's science of hadith. And did we understand it properly? That's the science of usul al-fiqh. Right? So if a transmission, it has to pass two filters. Every hadith has to pass two filters. The filter of, did the Prophet actually say it? Just because it's in a book, and just because it says, Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam aqal, does not mean we accept it. We have to look at the chain, and we don't even look at the chain. Right? We're muqallids in this. We look at muqallid, we, we, we follow what the previous scholars said. We're not going to go and do the takhrij ourselves. It's of no consequence. We look at what other scholars said about it. Then we go to the usul of it. Okay, yes, he did say it. Are there any other narrations that, 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 that will be stronger? Did we understand it properly? Are there conditions? This is called usul al-fiqh. And then it has to pass that filter, then we get a ruling of this is what the Prophet intended for us. So Sayyidina Abu Bakr Siddiq, he applied epistemology, and if you apply epistemology properly, it will clarify so much confusion in the world. Right? But you know that your sources, you have to be able to grade your sources of transmission because transmitted truths is one layer of truth. The other two layers are observation and reason. Observation and reason, you don't need to look at the source. Right? If, if, if I go to YouTube and a, a person, a random person, gives me an equation, a mathematical equation, I don't care who the person is. All I care about the equation. 
Show me the equation in front of me, whether you're a Hindu, whether you're someone who is of the hellfire or a paradise, I don't care. It doesn't make a difference. The, the equation is what matters. Likewise, a scientific experiment. If you tell me, if, you, if I drop this into uh, a Mountain Dew, it's going to blow up. I'm not ex I don't need to accept it from you as a source because we can do it, right? So if a righteous person comes to tell me nothing's going to happen, and then a, a devil worshiper tells me, no, something's going to happen, it's irrelevant. Show me the experiment. That's observation. But transmitted knowledge, or any conclusion that is a combination of transmission and experimentation or reason, then we do need to know the source. All right. So this is so important, the epistemology, and it's what, by through epistemology, Allah elevated Abu Bakr Siddiq. Right? Abu Bakr Siddiq, okay, he was given the tawfiq because of his iman, and his expression of that tawfiq was teaching us a lesson. If he said it, then it's true. In other words, I don't believe anything you people have to say, but in general, whatever Muhammad says is going to be true, because I've already accepted him as a prophet. Sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Alright. So, uh, what time is it now? It's now 2.46. Uh, so we've covered the Isra. Maybe tomorrow we could do the Mi'raj, or another time we could do the Mi'raj. But the Prophet Sallallahu then prayed with all the Prophets, and then all the Prophets, and then the Prophet Sayyidina uh, Jubilee said, do you know who they are? They were the messengers. All of the Prophets. Now, a, a nice little point in, in Aqidah and Fiqh, there are narrations that there are 313 messengers. 124,000 prophets. Uh, another one says 315. In other words, 300 and odd number of pro messengers and 124,000 prophets. Why do the ulama of the Ashairah, the Ahl Sunnah, they don't, they allow the narration of the Hadith but without jazm, without certainty. Why? Because the narrations are not strong. But the reason is that if you limit it to 124,000, you may be excluding a prophet. Right? Because what if it's not 100? What if it's more? So they say that don't have jazm with that number. Alright, let's, let's open up Q&A today. It's only, only on the issue of Isra and Mi'raj and anything related to it that we talked about uh, today from epistemology and otherwise. Okay? Abu Bakr Siddiq and the uh, uh, we didn't have time to do everything today, but that's okay. We did a lot of things today. So let's start with, um, yeah, t keep the questions today on topic for, today is just Isra. We didn't even do the Mi'raj. We just did the Isra. So the topic should be that. All right. Isra, questions and anything related to the Isra. What do we got? Okay, we have a lot of Mi'raj questions. All right, fine. Mi'raj questions too. Okay, um, so what is the rough rough? I've heard that it is being a being that took the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam past the Sidra al muntah in into the presence of Allah. Uh, the rough rough. Some people said it was a cloth, and um, there are other different things that was said about the rough rough. Um, that it was like a, a cloth that it was the garment of Jibreel in one different narrations in the Tafasir and in Siyuti's speech about the Raf Raf. So, um, yeah, next question. So, there's just, there's a ton of questions about um, the meeting between Allah Ta'ala and the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. 
Do you the, want to wait until tomorrow to... The, 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 I'll give you the general uh, about that. The meaning of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and, uh, and, uh, and the Messenger sallallahu alayhi wa sallam is that uh, it was where the tajalli happened. And the way it happened, as Siyuti narrates, or the narrations that he collects, is that after the Sidrat al-Muntaha, which is the low tree that represents the divine will, that means like the Aqdar, reflect off of this tree. And it's constantly moving and it's of colors. And the Prophet said colors that you can cannot be imagined or explained. And then he would he made sujood. A cloud would descend upon him. He would make sujood and then Allah would speak to him. And he would speak to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. This is what a Siyuti says. Okay, Next. so we'll we'll finish we'll get more in depth when we do Mahraj. Yes, we can do that, inshallah. Okay. So someone asked, what is our personal Isra wal Miraj? The personal Isra and Miraj of a person, of course, is their Salah. And it's not, it's not what is near, you know, anything of the Isra and the Miraj of the Prophet, of course. But maximum that a person, we do believe that a person can have a vision, a, a dream of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And Allah speaking to him in a dream. That is possible, but, it w- but we would not make any law from that. There would be no law based upon this. And the proofs of this is many. Sayyidina Ahmed ibn Hanbal said, I had 99 dreams of Allah. In one of them, he only shared one of us with us, and he said, I asked Allah, what is the best deed someone do to get close to you? He said, recitation of Quran. He said, with understanding or without? Someone recites that they don't understand. Does this have the same benefit? And then Allah replied, with understanding or without? So whether you understand or not, the greatest thing to draw near to Allah with is recitation of his book. Um, is Let's go to a question here. Um, why are the dates disputed of the Mi'raj? Yeah, the dates are disputed. But we know that the, the dominant opinion is very close that it's in um, uh, Rajab. We know that. The very, very uh, dominant opinion is Rajab, and then within that, the 27th is mentioned uh, often, and so the Ummah agreed upon that, but it's irrelevant. The point is that in the month of Rajab, this matter be remembered and be talked about. Okay? Um, so it, uh, the, the specific date doesn't matter, because there's no specific ibadah connected to it. It's just the general month of Rajab, it should be brought up. It's not like Nisf Shaban, which matters, because the Prophet specified the Nisf of Shaban. All right, we're going to cut it a bit short today, but let's take another question. Is there interpretation that Prophet ﷺ spiritually went to Jannah instead of physically? There is an interpretation that the Prophet spiritually did the Mi'raj, but it's a, a heretical, it's, it's, a blasph- it's, it's incorrect, I should say. And the person who holds that would be upon Bid'ah, because it's clearly in the wake. Otherwise, it would not have been a fitna for the people. Why would it be a problem? Dream what you want to dream of, right? So, it, so yes, people have said that, but incorrectly. So, all right. Um, how about Sayyidina Yunus and Prophet Musa making tawaf? No, there is. The Prophet did see while he was making Hajj, or was it Umrah? It's in Sahih Muslim that the Prophet saw, said, here is Yunus and here is Musa coming to make Hajj with us. Okay, so he saw their physical bodies. 
All right, let's take one more question. We have a wrap it short today, and then we will um, continue tomorrow. Okay, so I think this one's important to ask. Mm -hmm. uh, Simply Saleh asked, saying young people steer away from thinking that this is completely believable, so how can we remedy this? Young people, they don't believe this. Okay, uh, Why wouldn't they believe it? That's the question. What is, the, what is, what is contradictory in it? It's super rational. That's why it's so important in our aqidah. What we reject is the irrational, not the super rational. Right? Mustahil aqlan is that the, the words you say are opposed to each other in your statement. Okay? That's what we reject. Super rational, we accept it if the transmission is sound. Okay? So do they believe in the resurrection of, of all people? So that Allah re recreates all, everyone's body? Is, then you, man, that's if you're going to reject anything based upon the content, that's what you should reject, right? Did you accept that Allah Taala brought His word down to His messenger over 23 years, many, many, many times, right? How many times? Over hundreds of times the Prophet received wahi. One time the Prophet it was in reverse. Instead of the wahi coming down, the Prophet went up. One time. Why would you not believe that one time? Right? So it's so important to recognize. That's why I'm telling you, and we're, we're going to do this for kids. We're going to have a homeschool academy, inshallah ta'ala. It's not going to launch anytime soon. I don't want to give anyone, but just to give you an idea, we have to teach these basic mutun of aqidah to the people. Right? From youth. This concept and idea of what is super rational versus irrational. All right, let's stop here. Is it sunnah to fast? No, there's no specific sunnah of ibadah or fasting. But in general, uh, the month should be used for the dhikrah of Isra and Ma'raj. Jazakum Allah khairan everyone. Subhanakallahumma bihamdik. Nashadu an la ilaha illa anta nastaghfiruk wa natubu ilayk. Wal asli inna al-insana lafi khusr illa al-ladhina amanu wa aminu salihat wa tawasub al-haq wa tawasub al-sabr. Wassalamu alaykum wa rahmatullah.